This hey, call is being recorded. It's, uh, time for another Holiday Chat 2018 call. And on the line, I've got Elliot. Elliot, how you doing? Why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us uh, where what what you're doing and uh, what you want to talk about today. Uh, hi. Well, I'm doing well. Uh, my name is Elliot. Um, so I'm 28 years old. Um, I'm kind of in the civil engineering business to do a little bit of land surveying, kind of project management, construction inspection type of business. Um, looking to start my first business, want to kind of be an entrepreneur. Um, I have a little bit left time, left time on my contract. I'm in the U.S. Air Force at the moment, um, so I have two years left on my contract mm -hmm. and kind of want to over, overall just see what I need to do to, to get my first business rolling. Okay. So you want to start a business or buy a business? Um, buy a business. Yeah. Sorry. Okay. So um, how old are you again? So I'm, I'm 28. Okay. Um, so. Right now I have about 30, 30K in the bank. I'm just kind of sitting um, by the end of my contract in two years. My hope is to have about 70,000, somewhere around that range mm -hmm. um, to be able to, to be able to buy a business. So kind of, Overarching, my big question is, you know, what I need to do now to prepare for that to buy a business in about two years' time. Okay. So I do have some specific questions, but it's it's a it's a great question. And um, at at your age, um, and in your position financially, um, it, it comes down to a couple of things. Number one, um, if somebody is going to lend you money to to buy a business, a banker. They're going to want to know that that you know how to manage money, and so if you're able to accumulate savings over the course of time, number one, that's the the biggest, most difficult thing, and it sounds like you got that licked. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number two, uh, do you have any consumer credit at all, like credit card balances, things like that? Uh, so I do have a little bit. Um, my credit is currently recovering, um, <laughs> but I hope to have about um, a score of like seven hundred. Um, in, in two years time. So I'm, I'm recovering a little bit, um, but I do have one credit card right now that I'm using, repairing everything, paying off some old debt. So okay. I'm kind of in that situation. So um, if you can keep your, if you can pay down your balances and, and, and keep on top of your credit, then your credit score should improve over the course of the next two years. Mm -hmm. What you're going to want to do as you get to the end of your Air Force contract is you're going to want to apply for things like a line of credit at the bank. Um, mm -hmm. While you have the income, you're going to look the best on paper. Um, and when, when you go to buy a business, there's, there's your cash, there's money you're going to borrow from a bank to buy the business. And then there's money that the seller is going to lend to you, the, the seller financing portion. Mm -hmm. And so the, 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 the sort of the, the bad thing you have to deal with is that at, uh, at your age, um, you're not going to have a lot of business management experience, right? I mean, you, you're probably going to have civil engineering experience. And, and if you pick a business that's in a related field, everyone's going to see how your experience is going to be applicable. Have mm -hmm. you been doing some leadership stuff in your role in the Air Force? Yes. So I've been a project manager um, for mm -hmm. four years of that time. And I currently supervise a shop of about a, a work section um, of about four people at the moment. So I do have um, some leadership experience. I've been through some leadership classes in the Air Force that they've offered me. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I've had project management experience um, as far as like construction experience. So that's kind of where my, my skill comes in. Um, okay. But that does include 
um, like cost estimating, um, being able to to manage the manage the project, look at all the the lines of accounting and the kind of itemized list of things. So I, I do have kind of experience with that, but not specifically like business management or or like mm-hmm. owning a company or or stuff like that. Well, the it, the big component I think that might be missing would be sales. Okay. Right. Because, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, that's the one part, you know, when you're in an organization like uh, like the military, um, you know, you, you're not, I guess at a certain level, people might, you know, try to be persuasive in what projects should move forward and things like that. But but you're not out trying to, you know, deal with customers and sell them on a construction project. You're basically um, fulfilling a need that's been determined somewhere else, Right. Right. So there's like a, yeah, a list of requirements that comes down. And I mean, those projects compete within themselves, but there's, I don't have to necessarily convince anyone of that. So kind of a unique situation. So how would you, how would I go about kind of building those skills like in sales or being able to, to market myself in that way? Well, um, before we get to that, let's talk about where you are in the world. So are you, are you currently based in the U.S.? No. So currently I am in uh, the United Kingdom. Um, okay. However, I have a year left in the United Kingdom and then I'll come back for the one remainder year on my contract. So I will be in the United States. Um, so I guess I should have mentioned before, I'm kind of looking, I'm not tied down to one area. So mm-hmm. I'm open to buying a business anywhere, uh, um, including internationally. Uh, if that if that comes up, comes about, I do have experience in, um, yeah, like I said, the United Kingdom. Um, I've also been in Korea and Japan. Okay. So I kind of know how how those things work over there a little bit. Okay. But I'm I'm open up to to being anywhere. So if you have no business to purchase when you come to the end of your Air Force contract, where will you likely end up? Is there like a home turf for you? Uh so there are some ways for me to transition um into the civilian world pretty nicely. So I'm already I'm I am working on kind of like my my fallback, which is um either getting a federal job. Um, there's a very easy transition to do that or looking for a civilian company to work for. Um, but I'd rather, you know, own my own company, but I, I am pretty, I'd say competitive, um, as, as a surveyor and, and the skills that I have. Okay. So, so here's, here's kind of what my advice would be is that when you are approaching the end of your contract, you start looking for a role somewhere in a, in a private business that would involve customer facing activities. Okay. So sales, customer service, et cetera. Um, because um, buying a business doesn't always happen on your timeline. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And it's very easy for somebody to say, uh, here I am, I'm exiting the military. I'm free to go anywhere I want to. I want to start looking for a business and then you start going through broker listings and you start to travel around to visit different businesses and, and you start to invade your capital. You start to use up the money you have saved, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be for buying a business. And I actually see this happen quite often with people, for example, who immigrate from one country to another and they, they mm-hmm. bring a bunch of money with them. And then they arrive in the new country and they then start looking for that opportunity. And of course, day-to-day living expenses start to invade the capital. And, and they, their options start to then close because they're, the amount of money they have available is declining. So I would look for a job in the industry that you think you want to be in mm-hmm. that have some customer facing responsibilities 
sales or customer service. And this is going to be important because when you get in front of a banker or you're creating a business plan, um, they're going to look at your, your skills and experience. Whether or not you're able to make a sale is going to be really critical. Mm-hmm. And you're likely not going to be going and buying a business that has 50 or 100 employees where there's a whole sales staff. <laughs> no. A small business where you will do work in the business and you'll have other employees. But at the end of the day, a lot of the people that are going to be coming to your business are probably going to interact with you, right? Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> so I would say um, you want to get into the private sector. You want to um, find a role that where you're going to deal with customers. And then you can start your search for the business that you're going to buy. Okay. And having an idea of what that business looks like is in my mind is, is critical because there is so much for sale online. You need to be able to sort out what is going to suit you and what is not. And when I, when I work with people in my business buyer adventure group program, what we do is we actually create a list of characteristics of the business. So you might specifically say, I want a, you know, a civil engineering firm or a surveying firm or, or something very, very narrow mm-hmm. focus like that. But other people will say, you know, I want a business that sells to other businesses that is involved in this kind of industry or has a lot of capital goods or does not have a lot of capital goods. Like they'll, they'll create these characteristics and many different types of businesses could fit those characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then they'll start trying to create a, a suspect list and then a prospect list. And they'll actually start to send out letters or communicate with those businesses to see if they are interested in talking about selling. Um, where you're going to end up geographically can also be important because, I'll, you know, uh, one statistic that was often quoted to me back when I used to be part of a franchise business brokerage is that, 80% of businesses change hands without the use of an intermediary, mm. which, which means two people know each other and they decide to do a transaction. And when you get into a community, it doesn't take very long to figure out that there's a relatively small group of people who seem to own everything. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and, and so like in my town, it's a city of about 150,000 people. Um, there's like the Kiwanis club and the rotary club and those types of places. And when you join those organizations, you suddenly end up amongst entrepreneurs and professional types like salespeople, insurance agents, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where these, this kind of networking takes place because if somebody wants to sell a business they're they don't want to pay a broker necessarily. And if they have an idea of who might want to buy it, they're going to talk to that person before they list it for sale. So mm-hmm. you can actually create an entire strategy around active networking and creating lists of companies and sending out letters and going out there and meeting people simply to broadcast the fact that you want to buy a business. Okay. So kind of what I should be looking at, or at least on the table is going private sector in my industry and Mm -hmm. then trying to network with people 
to actively find businesses that are maybe either up for sale or kind of in that realm and just start networking with people and, and try to buy a business that way instead of using, I don't know. I, so I looked on biz buy sell and some other different sites uh, for businesses for sale. Um, so you think that would be a better route? Than, well, you can, you can look on there, but the, the best deals, I guess, are the ones that you craft um, before somebody has got the burden of having to pay a broker and where um, you can control more things. Like mm. you know, a business broker is going to say to a seller, like if you, you know, list your business with me, I'm going to get multiple buyers that are going to compete for your business. It's going to drive the price up. And and then you know the, the seller then maybe has their expectations set askewed of what's going to happen and what kind of money they might get for their business. Mm-hmm. If you're able to create a relationship with someone and they decide they want to sell and they are at least willing to explore that with you before they go to a broker, well, well then you have a shot at shaping that deal. Um, and like I said, 80% of deals are done that way. Hmm. Uh, they're done between two parties uh, without the use of someone in the middle. Okay. Yeah. And, and the other reason why I would caution you against going and getting a federal government job is, is this, and, and this is just my experience, but it, it's very easy if you get into the civil service to find a very comfortable place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you start to earn good money and the benefits are really great and the working hours are not too taxing. And then you can find distractions. Maybe you meet a girl and get married and that kind of stuff. And in my years as a business broker and in the years following it, when I've just been a consultant helping people do these deals, I have never actually helped a civil servant buy a business. Never. Never. I've had many of them come and look at businesses. I've had many of them tell me how much they hate their jobs and how desperately they want to leave. (laughs) But I've never actually seen one quit their great job Mm -hmm. to to go and work hard in, in the private sector. Yeah. I mean, really, if I were to get a a federal job, um, it would just be really for the money. Um, I have no interest. I mean, I'm patriotic and I'm very grateful for the opportunity the Air Force has given me, but I don't want to go back into a government job for a lot of the same reasons. Just a lot of job satisfaction isn't there really. And I want to control my own destiny, you know, Mm -hmm. for sure. So um, that's why I want to be a business owner. Yeah. So, um, what outside of the Air Force, what other kind of things have you done as far as work? Have you had any, did you have any jobs, you know, earlier before you signed up? Um, so I worked a couple different like odd, odd jobs, um, mainly in like some factories, but nothing, nothing that really had skill involved. They were dead end jobs. So that's kind of, that's kind of why I joined the Air Force. So, <laughs> but what? What kind of opportunities do you have for um, extracurricular pursuits right now? Like, would you be able to volunteer maybe for an organization that's trying to raise money? Like, you know, I always use the, the example of the SPCA, you know, um, they, they call me where I live and ask me to donate, you know, for the animal shelter and stuff like that. Um, there are different ways that you can actually develop and work on customer service and sales skills. Um, without actually having a job that does that. Okay. 
Yeah, sure. So I've been um, kind of in different leadership positions within the Air Force. We have kind of like internal organizations where we do raise money, um, burrito sales and, and kind of things of the like, and then um, have different events. Like, so we'll have a Christmas party coming up in December um, and I'll be on the committee for that to help plan and organize that. So, um, but as far as not, not a whole lot of opportunity, like outside of base necessarily, mm-hmm. um, I guess I would have to be kind of more and more stateside for that. Um, but the military does take up a lot of my time, so I don't have a lot of mm. time really to, to use, use for my, my own personal time to, to go to these ty- types of things. Yeah. Okay. And, and that's what I figured. I, I know that when you're deployed, um, outside of, outside of the home country that, uh, it, it really is more than a full-time job, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, very much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what drew you to civil engineering and surveying? Um, I really, it's just been a passion of mine ever since I was young. Um, <laughs> kind of the, the young boy with his building blocks and connects and Lincoln logs and stuff. And always doing that kind of thing. Um, I was in college for two years uh, for mechanical engineering and I loved it. Um, but I was not ready for college. Let's just say mm-hmm. that. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where my, my debt debt came from. Um, but yeah, it's just always been a passion of mine and landed in when I came into the air force, I was given kind of a dream sheet to fill out in engineering um, was my number one on there. So mm-hmm. I'm in the, in a civil engineering squadron, they call it. Um, and I, I do that kind of thing now. So I do, I really do love the job. Um, it's just kind of the environment that that's burning me out. So, so, so this is interesting because what you're, what you're saying is that the air force is using some kind of tool to help gauge your interest in order to direct you into, a um, a trade or, 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 or um, uh, vocation within the force that, yes. that you're suited so, to. Yeah. So when I joined the Air Force, I did go to a vocational school for my job um, for four months. Um, and they gave me a lot of knowledge and skills that, that I'm able to use, that I use on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say I'm kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, but I, I really like that being able to kind of put my hand in a, a bunch of different pots and work on it that way. So, so if you're going to do something like uh like civil engineering, you know, of course, the Air Force would have some um, some kind of certification or whatever to say that you're you're qualified. How does that translate into the civilian world? Would you have to then obtain like a state certification wherever you end up? Um, so I can get a couple different. Uh, my job actually is like six six different career fields all in one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so project management, inspection, surveying. Um, we use a program called ArcGIS and AutoCAD. Um, and there's a, there's one other one. So project management kind of is kind of the, the overarching thing. Um, so they do have um, pathways set up for us to get certifications in civil engineering in kind of each of those disciplines to specialize. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are already nationally accredited. So if I go through some of their programs, they'll be able to give me some money to, to pay my way to get those certifications. Um, the only things that might be specific if, is if I wanted to be like a home inspector or mm. a commercial inspector, then it would depend on that, that state's regional kind of accreditation that they needed for, you know, state specific laws. Um, but it's pretty easy to transfer back and forth. When you daydream about being in your own business, what kinds of things sort of pop up? 
like, do you see yourself doing something where you help homeowners or do you see yourself being more involved in like complementing somehow a large project, like a bridge or something like that? Um, definitely commercial type work. Mm -hmm. So, um, bridges or larger, um, types of new buildings that are going up doing, doing the surveying for that, doing the inspections on those. Um, that's kind of like in the military, we build everything to commercial specification, you mm -hmm. know, with some host nation laws kind of sprinkled in there, um, for at least in my career, uh, that's where I've been. Um, so that's kind of my, my focus, more commercial, larger projects. Um, I don't mind doing home homeowner stuff. Um, but that's just kind of where my specialty is and what I'm most comfortable with, but I'm, I'm open to learning whatever I need to. So, but that's kind of when I sit back in my, you know, my big comfy armchair, you know, counting my money, then that's kind of where I'm, I'm looking at doing. So, so you kind of have already settled on surveying being the thing that you're interested in. Yes. yes okay. Very much. So, um, what do you know about the surveying business? Um, so mostly uh, from a technician side, I know all the the details, how to use the use and operate the equipment, um, know where kind of the transit technology are going, mm -hmm. um, how to work with the other crafts in that field, all the the pavement workers and the um, you know the earth movers and then people like that to get to get everything where it needs to go. I know how to interpret some of the blueprints and the drawings um, to be able to put everything exactly where it needs to go, measure things very well. Um, and then kind of like on a larger scale, do topographic surveys to kind of do land surveying and make maps. That's another huge portion of, of what we do is, is make maps. Um, okay. So very good from that aspect of, of it from a technical standpoint. And then right now, uh, since I've kind of you know moved up to the ranks and in, in my current position, manage a team so I can delegate those tasks to other people and kind of like quality assure their work when, when they're doing it too. Are you, uh, are there any kind of limitations on uh, participating in social media in your position? Yes. So the, uh, mostly from a political standpoint, um, mm -hmm. so the Air Force doesn't, and the DOD in general, uh, Department of Defense doesn't like members participating um, politically, being politically active. And there are some things that we're not allowed to talk about or post or share or things like that. Um, but professionally, most of the time, there's, there's not too many restrictions. Okay, so so you could, for example, go and find uh, some kind of online community of of surveyors, and you could participate in that forum and talk talk shop, basically. Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, because if you're if you really are kind of settled on this particular business, it wouldn't surprise me to to you know, it wouldn't surprise me what I know that there's an awful lot of businesses in the surveying trade that are owned by people that are getting close to retirement age. Mm, okay. Right. And reaching out and participating in some of these online forums where you can actually, you know, brand yourself as, you know, someone who is going to be buying a surveying firm in 2021 or, or whatever the date is, mm. um, you could potentially start to make some connections with people now. Okay. Yeah. Not too bad. Right. Because, yeah. because, you know, one of the great things about having a particular kind of business identified is that those people gather together, you know, whether in an association or an annual event. Um, mm -hmm. If there's an, a, a national association of surveyors, maybe they have some kind of conference or regional conferences that occur. 
right? So if you're thinking, you know, when you get out, if you want to be in somewhere sunny, then maybe there's a, you know, a Texas or Florida or, you know, one of those Southern states that has a, a conference for its surveyors. And maybe there's an opportunity for you to even go and attend. Yeah. So at the moment, uh, there actually are a couple of conferences. Funny that you bring that up. One, there's one pre predominant one in San, or excuse me, um, it's in California, San Diego, excuse me, mm -hmm. um, for, for kind of our, um, mapping software. So it's called the Esri user conference. So every year they have like a week long conference there. Um, so I may have an opportunity to go to that uh, pretty soon. And then for Air Force specific, there is a um, there's a conference in San Antonio that that gets done every year, kind of on on a for another aspect of our job as well. So I am kind of active in those, mm -hmm. um, but I haven't really uh, networked as much as probably it sounds like I should have been um, in those. So I'll definitely take a look at that and start grabbing business cards. Well, you start to grab business cards and then, you know, you maybe you create a LinkedIn profile and you connect with those people on LinkedIn. And, you know, it's no secret in the Air Force that people, when they achieve the, the end of their contract, that they're going to leave the Air Force, right? Right. Right. So, so there's no repercussion professionally for you if, uh, you know, your immediate superior found out that you're talking about maybe buying a... Uh, surveying company when you get out of the air force because everyone's getting out of the air force right right and that it actually happens pretty frequently um so a lot of businesses do reach out to our specific career field and try to recruit us before we leave as well right um, they're looking for employees with your skills right right yeah um i mean the i, I can't understate enough the value of just having being connected to people and and then talking to them so you know you collect someone's business card maybe when you're in san diego and and you look up their firm online and it kind of looks like a business that you think you might be in the market for mm -hmm. and what you would do is you would start to do some research on how these businesses change hands and what kind of valuations they typically have and and then you'll get an idea of what you can likely afford so maybe you're looking for a small firm that has, you know, five or six employees in the firm or, or something like that. Well, with uh, with online today, you can go and look up a company's website and maybe they have a, a photo of their their staff in the office or maybe they have a contact us page and you see that there's only names, right? And you can actually start to create a list of businesses that might be within the realm of you uh, uh, to be a, a target for you to acquire. Okay. And then you start talking to those people. And um, there's no, like, you know, you, you contact someone and it turns out the owner's, you know, 58 years old and they don't want to sell because they've still got a few years left. Well, maybe the business, that's where you go and you work. And you go there with the intention of it, of, of creating a succession program for that owner. Mm, okay. Right. And, and so you, you get out of the military, you go there, you start working in that firm and you say to the owner, look, you know, by the time you're 65, you're probably going to want out. Let's create a plan together. Maybe after I work here for a year and you see that I'm qualified, let's create a plan, um, to, to make a transition. Hmm. Okay. And those, those internal transitions 
where people within a business become the buyer. Lenders love them because as a buyer, you're not going into a new business that you don't know and you're trying to figure out how to run it. You're already mm -hmm. in the business. You yeah. already know how it runs, right? Right. And in surveying, uh, because it is a, a profession, you know, there's going to be a lot of personal goodwill attached to the owner and the other people that have been in the firm for a long time. So mm -hmm. if you are working in the firm, it gives you a chance to start to absorb some of that goodwill. So if there's a big contractor that hires them all the time and you know, you're going to be buying the business, well, then you, you know, you get in the room sometimes during those meetings so that the contractor gets to know you too. It makes it easier once you buy the business because then all of a sudden you're not trying to talk to all these customers that you don't know. They've all seen right. you before, right? Yeah. And so it's not as different and strange for them. It's less, it, it's, it's not as easy for competing firms to come and poach those great customers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the other nice thing about a, about a transition from within is that you can stage it over time, which means that, you know, you start buying, maybe you buy the stock of the company over the course of a couple of years. There's a lot of different ways that these things get structured. Um, but it's, it's risky to try to sell a business for a business owner. And the risk is not finding a buyer. Hmm. Businesses go up for sale all the time and stay on the market for a long time. And then finally they get wound up because no one was able to, to buy the business or they weren't able to find someone to buy the business. And when a business is on the market for sale, the, the, even if buyers can be found, it's impossible to dictate the timeline of the transaction. Mm -hmm. I've been involved in deals that have happened relatively quickly, like in eight, nine weeks from the, from the first moment they met to the time the business was sold. Mm -hmm. I've also been involved in deals that just dragged on and on and on and took months to close. When, when someone's doing a transition from within, uh, you can actually create a, a schedule yeah. because both parties are at the table and they can both commit to things even, even over the span of years. So it means that that seller can actually sit down with his financial planner and know that he's going to get, you know, maybe certain amounts of money over the course of at certain intervals, or he knows when he's going to be, you know, no longer active full-time in the business, it can mm -hmm. be a great advantage to the seller. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. But I, I guess the key is like open those, open those relationships. Yeah. I got to start, start networking with them then. Okay. Yeah. And, and awesome. talk to those people, like send them messages, communicate with them, create a, you know, a real relationship, just like, like, as a business buyer, you, you, it's easy to, to think that you are buying something. So in a traditional purchasing situation, you go to a car dealership, for example, <clears throat> it's their job to sell you the car. Mm -hmm. right? You're, you're kind of passive. You show up at the car lot. Maybe you know some things about the vehicles. Maybe you don't, but you know, it's their job to sell you the, the car. So you can kind of wait for them to speak to you and give you information and stuff. When, when it comes to buying a business, there's actually several different sales that occur. 
And the first sale that has to happen is actually you have to convince the business's owner that you're capable of running the business. Mm -hmm. So okay. you're actually the one that has to do the first sale. And if you were, let's say you represented a software company that sold software to, uh, to surveyors, you would be contacting people. You would be creating that relationship because you would want the opportunity to talk to them about the software package. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the kind of attitude you need to have that you are selling yourself as a potential owner of their business. Yeah, absolutely. So like, yeah. how would that, how would that work? Like when I'm just talking to them, like, is it, I mean, there's some sort of like business proposal I need to put forward or like give them my resume, like along with, with an offer. No, or... because you don't know anything about their business. Mm. All, all you're doing at this point in your life is creating relationships. Okay. Right. Is you're, you're, you're talking about it. You know, if you work on something neat or do a really cool project, you know, you, you share that on, uh, on social media say, Hey, look, I'm, I'm working on this really cool thing. Um, and if you're connected to those people, then, then, you know, other people will comment on that and you can have a conversation with them. Mm. And okay. so that all you're trying to do is sell yourself as a competent, capable person in this industry. The, the second sale that's going to happen is they're going to have to convince you that their business is worth owning. Right. Right. But they're not going to even try if they don't think that you could run it. Right. Right. So you're positioning yourself, you're creating relationships, you're demonstrating competency that, that you are a candidate to be the buyer of their business. And then you can have those other conversations where, where people then try to convince you that theirs is the one you want. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that, and that's their job to sell you. Right. And then the, the final selling job is the negotiation. It's when you come up with your plan of how it is that you're going to, to transition into the ownership. And, and given your position, that's actually not going to be such a critical thing to have sorted out in the beginning. Because I think, like I said before, your goal should be to get work in the industry where you're going to be doing some customer-facing things I think identifying a survey firm that you could buy is probably smart. But if you don't end up buying that one, you're you're still going to be able to get all that needed experience and stuff by getting into the field there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're not you're not going to meet someone online and uh make a deal to buy their business before you're out of the air force and show up on day one and become the owner. I mean, it could happen, but in my experience, it's probably not going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Because the, for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, number one, if you are going to need to borrow money to buy the business, then the banker is going to say, Hey, you've never run a business like this before. And number two, if you're going to buy the business and ask the seller to finance you, the seller isn't going to feel confident because they don't know if you can run that kind of business. Okay. Right. Yeah. But if you, if you get out there and start doing work in the field, in the business, and 
and you're meeting with customers and you're handling customer service and doing sales and that kind of thing and doing the work, then everyone can see that you're competent, that you can make a business like that work. And that's all part of that first sale, convincing people that you're a candidate. I think I have a pretty good, I mean, resume as it is right now, I think I could come out and say that I'm you know, pretty technically um, competent in those areas. Um, well, right. But being a surveyor is not the same as owning a survey, being the owner of a surveying company. I've got, um, there's a, uh, a place I hang out at here sometimes. And there's a photographer that is always there. And I talk with him sometimes. And, um, he's been like a career photographer. He's always had a studio. People pay a lot of money to go do family portraits and things. And he gets brought into political events to take photos of politicians and stuff like that. And, um, we were talking one day and someone came up and said, you know, it must be hard for you to be like the best photographer around so that you're the one that people will pay this money to. And, and he quickly quipped, oh, I'm not the best photographer around, which (laughs) surprised people. And he said, he said, there's all kinds of photographers in town who are as good as, or better than me. I've seen their work. Mm. They're amazing artists. And so he may not be the best photographer in town, but he's probably one of the best people at running a photography business. Mm. Which is a completely different thing. Yeah, I guess I would agree with that. Yeah. And, and, And that's the difference, for example, what the banker would see. The banker would see, you, you know, you'd show them the resume. They'd say, okay, well, we have, we have no problem appreciating that you're going to be able to do the work, but we don't see any kind of track record of you being able to maintain your clientele and grow your business and attract new clients and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess that's just the nature of this, the type of work I'm in, in a government job necessarily. Yeah, it's just not something that you have to deal with where you're at right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And, so and then I, how would I, how, what specific training or like, how would I other, other, what can I do now, I guess, or over the course of two years to, to start building those, those skills together to, to run and own the business? Well, I mean, if you want to work on those skills, there's a whole industry of people that do that kind of training. You know, the, okay. you think about like Zig Ziglar and, and all that legacy of work. And then there's people like Sandler training and, and a lot of that stuff. Like um, I attended a few Sandler sales training sessions before and it used to be all delivered live and locally, you know, salespeople would go to these uh, meetings and the trainer would show them things. And now a lot of that stuff is being done virtually online. And so it doesn't matter that you're living in the UK. Right. right. As long as you can make a commitment in your schedule for a certain time, or, or maybe this stuff is available as pre-recorded training, like look up sales training. You're going to find all kinds of stuff out there. Okay. And doing some of that sales training is, yeah, it's going to enhance your resume. It may also help you get that first job in the right firm. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, there likely aren't many new surveyors applying for jobs in surveying companies that have gone through the effort of doing some sales training. Right. 
Okay, so look for some like online training opportunities to for for business management and, and sales training. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, don't don't be um, stuck on things like certifications and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. In in the private sector training, you know, it's all about results. Like when okay. um, when business owners send one of their salespeople to some kind of sales training seminar, and it costs a thousand dollars for the day or something like that, right. yeah, everyone comes back with a piece of paper, but the trainers know and the business owners know that if those salespeople don't come back and have improved results that warrant the investment, mm-hmm. that the business will never send anyone else. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And, and the, the fact that you have these sales training organizations and systems that have been around for years and years and years, they wouldn't be around if they didn't actually deliver results that business owners could see. Because I know of some business owners that, continuously send their employees to these things and they, and they do it because they know that they're earning a return on that investment. Mm, okay. Yeah. Great. And so many people, uh, you know, listening to this are going to be envious of you in your situation because you, you're at a great age. When I was, um, when I owned my business brokerage, I was in my, um, early to mid thirties. So just a little bit older than you are right now. Mm -hmm. And I really thought that my age was uh, sort of a handicap because I was competing in a world where everyone else seemed to be much older, you know, in their sixties. And um, the way that I compensated for it was just by, by trying to do a better job at talking, be better at communicating ideas, be better at allowing people to understand and showing people that I had a process, that uh, it wasn't, you know, shoot from the hip kind of thing, that there was a process and order to what I was doing. And I knew that potential clients were going to talk to the other people in town. And I, I said, you know what, it's all going to come down to me just being more professional. And yeah. And if people believe that I'm better at doing it, then they're going to hire me. Right. And, and it worked, you know, I, I got listings, I sold businesses, I made deals happen. And one of the reasons I ended up being a business brokerage office owner when I was in my early thirties is because I knew from, from when I was young, I wanted to be in business. I was excited about business. I thought about business all the time. And so many people I find spend a decade or two just trying to figure out what they want. Yeah. <laughs> no, like they're just, they're kind of lost souls and they, they try this and they try that. And, and after a while they, they kind of figure it out and they get a direction, a bearing that they can head down. But to be your age with a good income that allows you to take care of debt and to save money and to know exactly what you want to do, um, you know, you're in a great position, Elliot. And um, I, I think that yeah, you're going to do great. Well, thank you very much. Um, absolutely. So I've gone through, you know, some of those, those thoughts like, Hey, what am I going to do with my life? Am I in the right career field for me? Um, but this really has been a passion for me really, like I said, kind of back to my childhood, just playing on the carpet with some blocks. Um, and it kind of turned into this, 
Um, and I do have like a small group of internally, like I know some people around the world in the Air Force. Um, we kind of kind of have like our little mini group of people who want to own businesses. Um, and one of my friends right now actually does own a business. So um, I try to get in involved with him, um, but not really my, my area of expertise. So kind of need, need to do my own thing. But this is definitely what I want to do. Um, you know, but I want to get it right the first time. I want to be successful right from the get go and not have to go through some of the, the heartache of, you know, failing if I don't have to. Right. So that, that's why I'm here on, on the call with you. <laughs> well, don't be afraid of, of failure because failure is just learning. Right. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and that's one of the reasons why you, why it would make sense for you to join a firm as an employee when you first get out of the air force, mm -hmm. because you, you want to see how the business is run and how it's, it's going to be different from what you did at the air force. Like you're going to see things done maybe in a way you don't agree with, but it's because the customer wants it that way. Or right. you're going to see practices that you don't think are efficient, but there's some reason and it has to do with pleasing the customer or, or attracting a new customer that that's why the business does it that way. Right. And, and that's the place where you're going to learn, you know, you, in the Air Force, working with your engineering group, you're going to learn about the, doing the work. But it's mm -hmm. once you get into a, a surveying business that you can start to learn about the business of surveying. Mm. And, and Interesting so way to put it. Who are working in those businesses, they, they don't get to see or learn about the business of surveying because the owner keeps that stuff behind his door. But if, if you get in there from the beginning with a spoken statement saying like, I'm here to learn this business and I want to do the work because I want to buy a business like this. And maybe we can work out a deal to, for me to buy yours. Mm -hmm. Well, then you can get yourself into a position where the owner is going to want to mentor you to teach you that stuff because ultimately you're going to be the solution maybe to their problem, which is how do I get out of the business? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And and so that's where you're going to have the opportunity to learn from people and, and learn from the stories, you know, because it doesn't matter what business it is. Every business man, person has made a mistake at one point. They've made an error. You know, I would imagine, <clears throat> you know, they'll be able to tell you mistakes they made about hiring, mistakes mm -hmm. they made about, you know, compensating people or, or maybe trying to chase the wrong job or, um, collections like mm. you know yeah. every town has had a big general contractor go under yeah scary so, <laughs> so most surveying companies would probably have some stories about uncollectible receivables and, yeah, and how to deal with that. they do things to protect themselves from that yeah some of that for for sure i'd, I'd like some some coaching in um so yeah, try to get under the wing of, of the manager and let them know up front, like, hey, I you know, I wanna buy your business or at least, you know, learn the 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 business of serving as you as you said. So um, Yeah. Can, and you know. so and so with that in mind, um one kind of business you may want to keep your eye out for would be a family firm where the owner already has children working in the business. Mm-hmm. It might not want to be that might not be the kind of place you want to go. Okay. 
Yeah, I guess that would, that would make sense because they want to, you know, keep it within the family or keep it, uh, you know, well, like that. Even if even if a family succession doesn't work out, the presence of of adult children in the family business um, can create problems for a transition. Like I've I've seen deals before where the sell the owner's child was in the business and a buyer comes along to buy it and the seller wants to create all sorts of provisions to protect the employment of the adult child. Mm-hmm. So it kind of creates a interesting environment for the other employees and yeah, so. it can create problems because the yeah. and then maybe the child has some kind of preferential treatment in the way that their parent has always been treating them. And then they are going to expect that same kind of thing from you. Mm. And and there's all kinds of problems. Like there's, there's special groups out there for family succession issues because there's so many of them. So many many things that have to be dealt with. Right. Mm. So that, that would be the one kind of firm you probably would want to steer away from. Okay. Okay. I guess I never thought about that, but that's good. Yeah, and I actually just, in talking to you, thought about a um, a mechanical engineering firm I know of where there's adult children in the business, and and the assumption that the children make is always that they're going to get the business, mm, yeah. and they figure that because dad owns it, that they're going to get a great deal on it, or they don't have to buy it the way an outsider would have to buy it, and so they don't save the money, they don't you know, manage their credit. They, they, then when dad wants to sell it, they, they can't do the deal that he wants to do. And it creates all these problems. And yeah, you know, it's just, it's just, just something you don't want to be in the middle of. Yeah. That seems, it seems like a sticky situation. Hmm. So, so like looking at businesses that are either up for sale or, um, you know, infiltrating the, the ranks, um, to, to kind of get in there. Um, what are some like good, like what should I be looking for as far as like if like maybe I get into a business and things like people start getting laid off or they have to do like pay cuts or whatever, or, you know, maybe the economy's not going so good. Like what are, what can I look for that are like for signs of that the the business is still running successfully or even growing or that I would w- want to take it over maybe in a couple of years or, or down the line? Oh, just simply the fact that they want to begin the relationship with you by hiring you to work there. Okay. Yeah, businesses that are having a hard time are not trying to find, you know, more staff. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, in your in your normal due diligence, you're going to want to do some of the things that most employees would look at. You know, does there seem to be a lot of turnover? Um, yeah. You know, are there, do there seem to be problems with this business? But if you're dealing with a firm that has got their name, you know, on projects all over town and they're working with reputable construction firms and stuff, well, then you know they're doing the work well. Yeah. Yeah, right. still getting the works. Like the history of a lot of projects taken on. Yeah, and if they can do the work and they're still around, it means that they even if they're mismanaging their opportunity to make a lot of money, they're managing it well enough to survive. And, you know, in my, in my business buyer advantage course, one of the things I say to people is, is uh, 
you actually want to find a business that makes money but has problems. Because yeah, so I guess you can come in and you know hopefully yeah. fix them. Because you pay a Make price it. that's based upon the the earnings of the business, but if you can fix those problems, then and the business earns more money. Well, then then you got a really good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm just taking some notes. <laughs> no problem. Okay, great. Um, have you had any, how often do you look at like SA or excuse me, SBA loans um, or specifically for, I guess you said you never helped anybody in the military or a federal job buy a business. Um, what um, information do you think for like SBA loans that, that I would be like eligible for or how, how would I go about getting some of those versus maybe using like a traditional bank or even private lenders? So the, um, you know, after 9-11, there was the Patriot loans that were available for a few years. Mm -hmm. And there really isn't anything like that anymore. I'm actually working right now with someone on a deal in, uh, in Arizona, and they are a veteran. And basically, okay. the, the only real thing that they get that different from everyone else is they get a discount on some of the SBA fees. Yeah. So it, it's, it's not like this, your service is going to qualify you for loans that other people would, would not be able to get. Um, it's still got to pass all the same rules. You know, it's, it's got to make okay. sense. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of what the SBA does because they offer so much financing on mm -hmm. these businesses. Like right now, the 2018 program, it's 90% financing with the buyer putting as little as 5% down and the seller holding five or 10%. Mm -hmm. So the, the problem with that is when you make so much financing available, it means that people can leverage themselves higher than they would normally, which means that yeah. pieces get pushed up. And it also doesn't protect buyers because you don't have a sufficient seller financing note that you can offset against if it turns out there's something wrong in the business you only discover afterward. So I oh, right. say that the SBA doesn't help people buy businesses. The SBA helps people sell them. Mm. And maybe that's what the thinking is over there. Maybe they're looking at the, you know, the, the leagues of baby boomers that need to transition out of their businesses and they're, and they're saying, hey, let's make it easier for these people to sell these businesses. I almost think that somebody's trying to, you know, inflate the economy in the same way that those crazy home loans did 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah, because it seems like it there's a lot of finance available. I think I can borrow up to like 350,000, um, at a pretty low interest. Um, or for what it sounds like, maybe, maybe I'm not getting this quite right, but it's taking a lot of risk off of the seller to sell like a really good business. Cause they'll just get the money outright and then kind of stick it on the buyer. So I'm well, taking on a lot of risk by, by doing that, by going through an SBA. Yeah, what, what you do when you borrow money is you lock in a liability. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a, there's a video on my channel about a guy who bought a cleaning business and then there a bunch of problems came about afterwards and he lost a major customer 
that the seller probably knew he was going to lose. Mm. So, so there were all these things that should have been disclosed and, and really the guy has a good case for pursuing the seller. Now, if the seller had financed 30% of the deal, well, he'd probably stop paying them. Mm. Right? And so he would have leverage against the seller. But, to come back, do something. Yeah, to come back and change the deal or at least give himself some breathing room cash flow wise mm. while they, they address the problem. Um, but because he borrowed 90% from the SBA, guess what? None of those options are open. SBA, right. does, SBA doesn't care what happened. All they cared is you signed the note, you owe the money. Right. 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 So it, it really locks in the risk and the liability and then doesn't give you the normal protection features that a, a properly structured deal should have. Okay. So if yeah. I'm looking, would it be possible then to like get an SBA loan that um, is just a smaller amount and still have the seller finance as, you know, as much as can be negotiated and yeah. kind of keep it the same? Absolutely. Or, or just a traditional bank loan. Like um, I always, I, I say that there's no problem at all in financing hard assets, inventory, that kind of stuff. You know, if, if there's machinery, equipment, uh, inventory in a business, yeah, borrow against it because, because the fact that the bank has collateral builds in a plan B. Mm. If something goes wrong, the collateral can be liquidated. Right. Maybe it doesn't cover all the loans, but you know, it, it gets you partly out of the hot water. Sure. Right? sure. And so the problem though, with a surveying company is that you, you wouldn't necessarily have a lot of collateral to offer. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, some of the equipment's expensive, but you don't you don't have that much of it. Really, you have people's skill. So mm. um, maybe a building. I don't know if it's still being leased or maybe that's owned. But yeah, the in particular with with uh, professional service firms like surveying, uh, accounting offices, things like this, there there really is a lot of risk in the personal goodwill. And some of the deals that I've worked on for these kinds of firms, um, the buyers always tend to succeed in getting some big chunk of the consideration put onto the future performance of the client pool that's coming along. So if, uh, if I have a surveying business and over the past decade I've worked with you know, a couple hundred different construction companies, let's say, mm-hmm. or, or builders or maybe state or city governments, things like that. Sure. Um, as a buyer, I'm going to be worried that those people won't want to deal with me. And, and by being inside the business, you, you help mitigate this problem. But let's say you were on the outside, you weren't working in the business, you were just going to buy the business. Mm-hmm. Well, the value to you in that business is that those people keep coming to you. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's a danger that if, if they don't come to you, then what did you buy? So a lot of these deals will have a feature where it'll say that, you know, um, the sales in the future tied to that customer list are going to impact this, the flow of payments. It's often okay. referred to as a, a legacy customer list. So... I worked on a deal with an accounting firm where 
the accountant bought part of another accountant's practice. They basically yeah. bought the the personal tax return portion of that business because the the selling accountant didn't want to do personal tax returns anymore. They just wanted to focus on corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. And literally it was like, here's the list of the customers. Over the next three years, you give me this percentage of the of the billings to this list of people. Hmm. Okay. And some of those people didn't want to go to the new person. Mm. And so the seller didn't get any portion of that money. Okay. And 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 that kind of structure is is makes sense for a business that has so much personal goodwill. Yeah, or at least reputation in that company. So well, yeah, and I guess that, that would be that would be the personal goodwill of the, the owner. So mm-hmm. mm. okay. Yeah. Awesome, Elliot. Um we need to wrap up, but was there anything else you wanted to ask before we go? Uh no, I think you gave me a lot of things to think about. So <laughs> thank you very much for your time. I learned a lot. No problem. Thanks for uh thanks for joining me on the call. And um I hope you have a, a great holiday season and a happy new year. All right, you too, sir. All right. Bye-bye.